This is Chapter 63 of Roughing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Roughing It by Mark Twain. Chapter 63. On a certain bright morning, the islands hove in sight, lying low on the lonely sea, and everybody climbed to the upper deck to look. After two thousand miles of watery solitude, the vision was a welcome one. As we approached, the imposing promontory of Diamond Head rose up out of the ocean, its rugged front softened by the hazy distance, and presently the details of the land began to make themselves manifest. First the line of beach, then the plumed coconut trees of the tropics, then cabins of the natives, then the white town of Honolulu, said to contain between twelve and fifteen thousand inhabitants spread over a dead level, with streets from twenty to thirty feet wide, solid and level as a floor, most of them straight as a line, and few as crooked as a corkscrew. The further I travelled through the town, the better I liked it. Every step revealed a new contrast, disclosed something I was unaccustomed to. In place of the grand mud-colored brown fronts of San Francisco, I saw dwellings built of straw, adobes, and cream-colored pebble-and-shell conglomerated coral, cut into oblong blocks and laid in cement, also a great number of neat white cottages with green window-shutters, in place of front yards like billiard-tables with iron fences around them, I saw these homes surrounded by ample yards, thickly clad with green grass, and shaded by tall trees, through whose dense foliage the sun could scarcely penetrate. In place of the customary geranium, kaya lily, etc., languishing in dust and general debility, I saw luxurious banks and thickets of flowers, fresh as a meadow after a rain, and glowing with the richest dyes. In place of the dingy horrors of San Francisco's pleasure grove, the willows, I saw huge-bodied, wide-spreading forest trees with strange names and stranger appearance, trees that cast a shadow like a thunder-cloud, and were able to stand alone without being tied to green poles. In place of goldfish, wiggling around in glass globes, assuming countless shades and degrees of distortion through the magnifying and diminishing qualities of their transparent prison-houses, I saw cats, tom-cats, marianne-cats, long-tailed cats, bob-tailed cats, blind-cats, one-eyed cats, wall-eyed cats, cross-eyed cats, gray cats, black cats, white cats, yellow cats, striped cats, spotted cats, tame cats, wild cats, singed cats, individual cats, groups of cats, platoons of cats, companies of cats, regiments of cats, armies of cats, multitudes of cats, millions of cats, and all of them sleek, fat, lazy, and sound asleep. I looked on a multitude of people, some white, in white coats, vests, pantaloons, even white cloth shoes, made snowy with chalk duly laid on every morning, but the majority of the people were almost as dark as negroes, women with comely features, fine black eyes, rounded forms inclining to voluptuous, clad in a single bright red or white garment that fell free and unconfined from shoulder to heel long black hair falling loose, gypsy hats, 
encircled with wreaths of natural flowers of a brilliant carmine tint, plenty of dark men in various costumes, and some with nothing on but a battered stove-pipe hat tilted on the nose, and a very scant breech-clout. Certain smoke-dried children were clothed in nothing but sunshine, a very neat-fitting and picturesque apparel indeed. In place of roughs and rowdies staring and blackguarding on the corners, I saw long-haired, saddle-colored Sandwich Island maidens sitting on the ground in the shade of corner houses, gazing indolently at whatever or whoever happened along. Instead of wretched cobblestone pavements, I walked on a firm foundation of coral, built up from the bottom of the sea by the absurd but persevering insect of that name, with a light layer of lava and cinders overlying the coral belched up out of the fathomless perdition long ago through the seared and blackened crater that stands dead and harmless in the distance now. Instead of cramped and crowded street-cars, I met dusky native women sweeping by, free as the wind, on fleet horses, and astride with gaudy riding-sashes, streaming like banners behind them. Instead of combined stenches of Chinadom and Brannan Street slaughterhouses, I breathed the balmy fragrance of jessamine, oleander, and the pride of India. In place of the hurry and bustle and noisy confusion of San Francisco, I moved in the midst of a summer calm as tranquil as dawn in the Garden of Eden. In place of the golden city's skirting sand-hills and the placid bay, I saw on the one side a framework of tall, precipitous mountains close at hand, clad in refreshing green, and cleft by deep, cool, chasm-like valleys, and in front the grand sweep of the ocean, a brilliant, transparent green near the shore, bound and bordered by a long white line of foamy spray dashing against the reef, and further out the dead blue water of the deep sea, flecked with white caps, and in the far horizon a single lonely sail, a mere accent mark, to emphasize a slumberous calm and a solitude that were without sound or limit. When the sun sank down, the one intruder from other realms, and persistent in suggestions of them, it was tranced luxury to sit in the perfumed air and forget that there was any world but these enchanted islands. It was such ecstasy to dream and dream till you got a bite, a scorpion bite. Then the first duty was to get up out of the grass and kill the scorpion and the next to bathe the bitten place with alcohol or brandy, and the next to resolve to keep out of the grass in future. Then came an adjournment to the bedchamber, and the pastime of writing up the day's journal with one hand, and the destruction of mosquitoes with the other, a whole community of them at a slap. Then, observing an enemy approaching, a hairy tarantula on stilts, why not set the spittoon on him? It is done." and the projecting ends of his paws give a luminous idea of the magnitude of his reach. Then to bed, and become a promenade for a centipede with forty-two legs on a side, and every foot hot enough to burn a hole through a rawhide, more soaking with alcohol, and a resolution to examine the bed before entering it, in future. Then wait and suffer, till all the mosquitoes in the neighborhood have crawled in under the bar, then slip out quietly, shut them in, and sleep peacefully on the floor till morning. Meantime, it is comforting to curse the tropics in occasional wakeful intervals. We had an abundance of fruit in Honolulu, of course—oranges, pineapples, 
bananas, strawberries, lemons, limes, mangoes, guavas, melons, and a rare and curious luxury called the chiramoya, which is deliciousness itself. Then there is the tamarind. I thought tamarinds were made to eat, but that was probably not the idea. I ate several, and it seemed to me that they were rather sour that year. They pursed up my lips till they resembled the stem-end of a tomato, and I had to take my sustenance through a quill for twenty-four hours. They sharpened my teeth till I could have shaved with them, and gave them a wire edge that I was afraid would stay. But a citizen said, no, it will come off when the enamel does, which was comforting at any rate. I found afterward that only strangers eat tamarinds, but they only eat them once. End of chapter 63